did God create the heavens and earth? Um, or was it evolution? How, how did we really come to be? Where did we come from? Like, where did the universe come from? It brought me to a point where I had to dig deeper past the surface of God created the heavens and earth. I think sometimes I struggle believing that God's grace covers everyone and every situation and every single sin. There's just not an answer for everything. I believe in the healing God, but my situation speaks contrary to that. The pain was overwhelming. I didn't really know if he was there. Why won't he heal me? Why won't he hear me? There are just so many things in the world that unexplained you would wonder how a loving, forgiving God would even allow to happen. I don't understand how someone can just give up and give in and, again, blindly trust and uh, blindly have faith in something. One thing I really struggled with and wrestled in the Bible was the fact that the devil exists. If God is good, why did he let my cousin die? You know, why did he let my parents uh, split apart? All right. Well, uh, good morning, Transit. How are you guys today? Are we good? Good morning. Awesome. Well, as that video showed, if you've been coming to the church uh, the past couple of weeks, we've been going through a series uh, on dealing with doubt, where we're looking at uh, the fact that uh, all of us, no matter what worldview uh, you hold to, we wrestle with doubt, and that's okay. And so we're uh, the last two Sundays, the first Sunday, we opened up with this idea of, of humbly investigating uh, some of the big questions of life. And the first one we looked at was, can there really be just one true religion. And last week we talked, uh, tackled the topic of uh, how can a good God allow evil and suffering? And so this morning uh, we're looking at the question of, of God and science. We're going to be exploring this question, has science disproved God? Has science disproved Christianity? And so that's what we're going to be exploring uh, this morning. But before uh, I dive in to this message, we need a couple disclaimers, all right? So, so disclaimer number one, I, I love science, okay? Let, let everyone hear that. Uh, I love antibiotics. I love my cell phone. I love, you know, technology and every, everything the scientific uh, 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 study has brought us, these developments. So, so don't hear me say that we should have a, uh, a distrust or, or, or we should hate science or, science or whatever. No, that's not true. We, science is awesome. It's brought us a lot of fantastic things that I, I enjoy and even enjoying this winter, enjoyed this winter when I was sick with the flu. So uh, that's number one. Disclaimer number two is uh, I tend to get passionate when I preach and do this with my hands and whatnot and my voice will raise. Please don't misinterpret that as like uh, hostility or anger or animosity. It's just uh, this is deep within me and it's, it's hard to uh, keep it down. So I'm going to do my best to do that today. But and my last disclaimer is this is uh, I had prepared probably like a four-hour talk, um, and I had to get it down to two hours. So okay, just get I had to get down to like forty-five minutes. So the bottom line is this: is there is a whole lot to cover when it comes to this topic. I cannot do it justice in forty-five minutes. And for you uh, military people out there, uh, the illustration I'm going to use for our approach this morning is we're taking more of a shotgun approach over a sniper rifle. If that makes sense, we're going to go. Uh, uh, kind of take a wide, uh, wide view of a lot of these different arguments for uh, uh, the God of the Bible and, and, and everything that entails, but we're not necessarily going to be able to go really in-depth on these, and that's kind of the approach I decided to take. However, with that said, there are phenomenal resources that I have drawn from uh, for this talk. And number one uh, that we're uh, 
uh, uh, we're basing this series on is Tim, Timothy Keller's book, The Reason for God. It is just a phenomenal book, uh, and I'd highly encourage you to get that. The second resource that I'm drawing from specifically for this topic, and man, if this topic interests you, whether you're a skeptic or a Christian or, or whoever, you, I, I highly recommend this book. John Lennox, and it's called God's Undertaker. John Lennox, God's Undertaker, phenomenal, phenomenal book. Uh, get that if this topic interests you and you have some questions. Uh, the last two would be William Lane Craig's Reasonable Faith, and then the last one would be uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Tariq. Really good book. Uh, probably the easiest to read, that last one out of all of them. Um, all right, those are all my disclaimers 15 minutes later. Uh, but with that said, I figured a great way to start my talk off this morning was something I found uh, uh, browsing uh, my Facebook about a year ago. So if we can put that slide up here. So I found this article, my friend posted it, and it was an article on this website called BuzzFeed, and it was uh, the 28 stupidest things ever posted on Facebook, okay? And so here's the deal. There are 1 billion people on Facebook. To make it in the top 28 is no small feat. All right, like this is like the hall of fame of, of, of Facebook here. So number eight, I saw this post. My man Alan here posts a picture of Mount Rushmore, okay? And his friend Anthony, uh, a couple uh, minutes later says, crazy how nature make that, all right? And here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of it. Somebody liked the post. And I'm starting to think it might have been Anthony. Anthony wrote that. I was like, that's, that's, that's straight gold. Okay, so, so you guys see the irony here, right? Like, like we're, number eight, number eight, dumbest things ever said on Facebook. Why? Because when you look out Mount, Mount Rushmore, all of us know, we say, Anthony, that's got design written all over it, bro. That's got design written all over it. And the irony of this is if Alan here posted a selfie of himself, right, and, and Anthony said the exact same thing to a picture of his friend Alan, said, crazy how nature make that, he wouldn't be on the list, right? Ah, oh, give, give that guy a full ride to MIT. This guy's a genius. Yes. Nature made that. <laughs> right? And so that's what we're going to be looking at. That's what we're going to be looking at. That's the crux of the issue this morning, is, is when you look at humanity, do we say crazy how nature make that, or do we, do we say uh, a creator? Do we say chance? Or do we say creator? Do we say no design? Or do we say design? And my friends, what scripture teaches, what we're going to be looking at this morning is you and I got design written all over us. It is clear as day. And so there's three things that we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be, number one, we're looking at what does the Bible say about the universe and its origin? Two, well, what does science say about the universe and its origin? And three, we're going to look at, uh, has science proved Darwinian evolution? And that might be a, a hot topic. It might, it might even be audacious to even question that. But, but here's the deal. This is, this is something that uh, I've been told uh, about my faith. Anything worth believing is worth investigating. Anything worth believing is worth investigating. That includes our faith. That also includes faith in the fact uh, 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 of people believing in Darwinian evolution and a naturalistic worldview. And so it's okay for us to ask difficult questions about uh, a settled, apparent settled fact of science when, in fact, there is no such thing as a settled fact of science. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we'll come back to that later. All right, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we are beautifully and wonderfully made. We thank you, Lord, uh, uh, 
that, that, that your, uh, uh, your manufacturing stamp, your image is all over your creation. And we look, Lord, we look at your, uh, your, your creation, the stars in the sky and the beauty of humanity, and we bring praise and glory to you, Lord. You are all wise. You are all powerful. You are a good, good God. And Father, uh, I ask, Spirit, that you would show up big this morning, uh, Lord, that me speaking wouldn't be uh, an exercise in futility, Lord, but Spirit, we ask that, that you show up, you move, Lord, for the skeptic, for the, the one who is doubting, Lord, would you come uh, and would you, would you comfort them and would you answer those doubts, Lord, and would you let them know deep down within their souls that you exist and you love them, Father. Uh, and so we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, what does the Bible say? Uh, Genesis 1.1 and John 1.3. Uh, Genesis 1.1, you guys know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In John 1.3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So right off the bat, in the first verse of the Bible, what we learn is what the Bible teaches us about the universe is that it had a beginning, and the cause of that beginning, the cause of the universe coming into existence was God. That, that here, here's what Genesis 1-1 teaches us. There was nothing. God speaks and, and, and enter a, a space, time, and matter. Space, time, and matter come on the scene. There was no space and time and matter. God speaks and, and, and boom, space, time, and matter come into existence. The reason that is important is because it coincides shockingly well with the theory of the Big Bang. Shockingly well. The idea that there was no space, time, and matter, that there was this big explosion, this bang, and space, time, and matter came on the scene. And uh, this is what Arno Penzias says. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but just look at his biography. I mean, look at his bio up there. Nobel Prize, baby. This guy's no joke. This is what he says. The best data we have concerning the Big Bang are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. What then is the conflict between science and faith? When, when the Big Bang correlates identical with uh, Genesis 1.1. That this universe is not eternal. Space, time, and matter did not exist for all of eternity. They came into existence, as the Big Bang teaches us, billions of years ago. What then is the conflict? And I would say the, the conflict arises, this is where the conflict arises. By the way, the majority of scientists, majority of scientists uh, uh, believe that the empirical evidence points us to the fact of the Big Bang. I don't have... Uh, enough time to go into multiverse theory and some of the other theories. But if you posit multiverse theory to wiggle your way out of the Big Bang theory, you still have to account what is creating these trillions of universes. What's just cranking out these universes? If you believe in a multiverse theory, what is that? And the odds reset every time. The odds reset every time for life coming out of non-life and chaos-producing order. Um, the contention arises when certain scientists posit that, that, yes, the Big Bang happened, but there was no cause behind it. That the universe kind of just spoke itself into existence, which is, by the way, metaphysically absurd, because what you're saying is nothing, there was nothing, there was no universe, but it, it spoke itself and created itself. into. That's logically inconsistent. That's metaphysically absurd to say that something that didn't exist caused itself to exist uncaused. That nature made that. 
And so what we believe, the point of contention arises between theists and certain scientists, is, is, is we believe there is a cause behind space, time, and matter. We believe that there is an external cause, and the reason we believe that is because of, because uh, I mean, I think it's a logical conclusion. Look at the cosmological argument, it should be on the screen. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Science teaches us the universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And here, and before we even get to scripture, you better believe the nature of that external cause of the universe uh, uh, can't be bound by matter, can't be bound by time, uh, can't be bound by space. So this first, the nature, it's, let's talk about the nature of this first cause of the universe. The nature of space, uh, the first cause of space, time, and matter would have to be immaterial, would have to be transcendent, not bound by space, would have to be eternal, not bound by time. You better believe that being is all-powerful and all-wise. That's exactly how God reveals himself in his word. That's the nature of space, time, and, and, uh, and matter. It's God. We believe God spoke. We believe that this universe has design written all over us, that you and I are not here because of an un, uncaused explosion, which, by the way, has never happened in the history of the world, uh, uh, that, that, that's, that, uh, that this vast galaxy came from no cause, came here by accident. We, we don't believe that. We think it takes more faith to believe that than to believe that, that this first cause of the Big Bang, this first Big Bang, us coming into existence, had a cause. Had a cause. But the rebuttal, the, uh, the kickback would be, oh, but Nick, Genesis 1, length of days, bro. Like you, and, so, and so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, I'm not going to get into, uh, I don't have enough time to talk about the length of days in Genesis 1. And what I will say is this. I would say that the main point of Genesis 1 is not when the earth was created, but that it was created and who it was created by. And there's certain things that are closed-handed issues for the Christian that we cannot disagree on. And we believe here at Transit that there are certain things that are open-handed issues. And we believe that there are solid uh, arguments to hold certain old earth positions of Genesis 1, that the earth uh, is, is uh, billions of years old, and that there's solid arguments for young earth theories. But we don't think that that is a closed-handed issue. What, we're, what we believe is that uh, uh, we, would, we ask you to humbly investigate that. Humbly investigate that. And if you want resources, there's been a whole book written about it uh, to explore those arguments that you can look into as well. That's all I'm going to say about length of days, but I believe, uh, yeah, you can be faithful to Scripture and, 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 and be hold one of those views. So uh, the next thing that we see that Scripture teaches us is that this truth that God is creator of the heavens and the earth, so this truth that, that, that God spoke us into existence, what Scripture teaches us is that this truth, my friends, is clear as day, that this truth is self-evident. Listen to uh, Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. But listen, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. 
what this passage is teaching us, what the psalmist is saying, is, is, is when humanity, when a person with the, with the eyes the Lord has given them, 230 million cells working in unison to give you sight, connected to a brain in this coconut that has over 100 trillion neural connections, more neural connections in this small area than there are stars in the galaxy you're looking at. When humanity does that, what the psalmist is saying, it's as if nature has grabbed you by both shoulders, is looking you in the face, shaking you back and forth and screaming its lungs out saying, can you not see that God is behind all this? Can you not see that this universe has design written all over it? That's what scripture teaches is that that there is no place in the universe where we intrinsically deep down do not know that God exists. There's a designer behind the design that we see. And so the teleological argument is the argument from design. It goes like this. Every design had a designer. The universe has highly complex design. Therefore, the universe had a designer. And this is what uh, Richard Dawkins says. If you don't know who Richard Dawkins is, he's uh, one of the new atheists. He's written a couple books. Uh, One book I'm reading through right now, it's called The God Delusion. Um, And he is a uh, a biologist, a really smart guy. And and I think it's safe to say that he just hates religion and hates uh, people who believe in God based off the literature that he's he's written. Uh, But this is what he says. Uh, He says, uh, living objects look designed. They look overwhelmingly as though they're designed. Richard Dawkins says that. When you look at life, living objects, it is overwhelmingly, uh, it looks overwhelmingly like we got design written all over us. So, well, well, here's the deal, my friends. If it, if it looks like a duck, if it flies like a duck, if it tastes like a duck, can we not assume it's a duck? If you and I got design uh, written all over us, can we not assume that there's a designer behind us, right? And, and let me do my best to illustrate this. As you guys can probably already tell, I am no scientist. But, but here's the deal. I've done some research. And uh, the average human being has 47.2 trillion cells working in unison to give you like bone, blood, uh, some hair cells that I'm missing, uh, so on and so forth. I might have a few or less than, than the average there. Um, but in each and every one of those cells, the majority of those cells is this thing called DNA, which is 7 billion bits of specified digital code that, that, that basically is the blueprint for the cell and how that cell is to function. 47.2 trillion, multiply that by 7 billion, you have an astronomical number in each and every one of you. And what scientists say is that a, a single cell is like a mini factory. It's like, a, it's like an Amazon shipping center. It receives information, assembly line, uh, and then it sends that information out. And you have 47.2 trillion cells not arguing with each other in your body about who should come first, you know, what, whatever. They're all working in unison to help me do this with my hands and, and speak and, 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 and take, take in breath and digest my food and, and pump blood through my body. These cells are working in unison. 47.2 trillion cells. Tell me what is more uh, 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 beautiful and complex and intricate than the design you see in humanity. And so when you look to your left and you look to your right, my friends, you better believe you are in the presence of the miraculous. You are in the presence of the miraculous. When God created humanity, he said, it is very good. You are made in my image. My image, like when you see an iPhone and you see the Apple manufacturing stamp on the back of your phone, you better believe when you look at humanity, what God is saying there, you see my stamp my manufacturing stamp on humanity. And that's what I'm getting at here. 
is uh, with all the, the, the developments and technology, like the new iPhone or a Tesla car that will drive for you uh, and then do your taxes and make you coffee on the road and, you know, all these things, what do we do? We praise, we worship the designer behind that. Say, so look at the brains. Look at the genius behind uh, that new Tesla car. Oh, my gosh, we just, it just flows from us, right? And yet when we, we look at humanity, we say, ah, oh, crazy how nature make that right? What's more complex, a dead car or a living human being with conscious thought with 100 trillion neural connections in their brain, 47.2 trillion cells, DNA, 7 billion bits of information. You are far more complex than, than, than even, yeah, a Tesla car. And if I were to argue that uh, a time plus matter plus chance created a Tesla car, you'd say, you'd laugh at me and I'd make it on the number eight uh, list of, of dumbest people to ever speak on Facebook, you know? Um, and so, what scripture also teaches us is since God, we call it general revelation. General revelation is God revealing himself in scripture. Special revelation is God revealing his nature in scripture. General revelation, Romans 1, 18 through 20, is essentially this. God's, uh, the, the existence of God, of God is clearly perceived by all of humanity, namely his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, so that men or without excuse. So what Scripture is teaching us is that when you say, God, I would believe in God if he gave me more evidence of his existence, the Scriptures would kindly encourage you to open your eyes. The Scriptures would, would kindly encourage you to say, hey, just take, a, take an objective look around. It's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. So what does science say? What does science uh, say about the universe and its origin? Well, uh, over the past five months, I've had four different people essentially tell me this, that they're either doubting their faith or they don't believe in God because of science. And I don't know if they watch like Nacho Libre late, lately, like I don't believe in God, I believe in science or, or whatever. But this is, this, is what, uh, this is what I want everyone to hear this morning, whether you're a skeptic or a Christian or whoever, we need to understand this. So please listen, please listen. My friends, science doesn't say anything. Did you guys catch that? Science doesn't say a thing. Certain scientists say things, and you better believe that they're hardly unanimous about the universe and its origin. Science doesn't say a thing, my friends. Scientists do. And, 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 and it, as I do my research, there's different scientists from the same, de- same universities, same prestigious degrees, uh, 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 looking at the same evidence but coming to different conclusions. So if you say, I don't believe in uh, a God, I believe in science, it's like saying, I don't believe in God, I believe in philosophy. Or I don't believe in God, I believe in economics. I don't believe in God. You have to pick a side. You got to pick a philosophy, right? And uh, the kickback to that is, oh, well, science, scientists are objective if they don't believe in God. The ones who believe in God are, are subjective. They're biased. So yeah, we, we, we trust the scientists who are materialists, who are naturalists, because they're not biased, because they, uh, they are objective in their research, but the ones who believe in God are biased. And that's, that, my friends, is not, uh, I'm going I'm to hold back here, that, my friends, is not true to reality. Every single person in the world has a, has a worldview, and through the lens, the sunglasses of their worldview, of their philosophical presuppositions, they interpret the natural world. 
Everybody has a worldview, and through those lenses of that worldview, you interpret facts differently, okay? And so uh, if you don't think that certain scientists are biased, well, let's take a look at a couple of these guys. These are big names, by the way. These aren't Christians. Um, Julian Huxley, when he was asked, why do people believe in evolution? He said this, listen to this. The reason we accepted Darwinism, even without proof, is because we didn't want God to interfere with our sexual mores. Uh, look at the next one, Richard, uh, Richard Luantin. He said this, we take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its, its extravagant promises of health and life. And listen to this one. In spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because, listen, this is what I'm getting at, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. If you have a prior commitment to materialism or to naturalism, Darwinism, Darwinian evolution, is the only game in town. It is the only option for you. Therefore, it has to be true. If you believe it to be true, it has to be true, and you're going to interpret the data that you get as true. You guys catch that? Everyone has a bias, bro. Right? Everyone's got a worldview. Everyone's got a bias. And the question is, uh, the question is, is that bias interfering with the truth of the data? Excuse me. So uh, moving on here. So one, science doesn't say anything. My friends, we, we, have, to, uh, we have to kick back in a, in a kind way when people say, I don't believe in God, I believe in science, and say, well, can you clarify that for me? Can you clarify that for me? And next, we, we learn this, that, that science has limits. Science has limits. There are certain things that science cannot say a thing about. There's certain things that science has nothing to say about that. I had, I had a, a list of, of nine points here of philosophical presuppositions of science. You can thank me for, for just narrowing that down to one sentence. But uh, what does science have to say? tell us about what is beautiful? What, what can science tell us about the beauty of a sunset or of a song? Or of, a, or, of a, or of a couple who have, who have, who have uh, lived together in, in, in holy matrimony for like 60 years, and you look at that relationship, that is beautiful. Look at that love. What does science have to say about love? What does science have to say uh, about justice? What can science teach us about justice, about hope, about morality, about right and wrong? Science has nothing to say about those things. And, and, and there's a whole list, a long list of philosophical presuppositions, but here's one. Science has nothing to say about science either. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is this. The belief that the scientific method discovers truth can't be proven by the scientific method. Did you just catch that? The belief that the scientific method discovers truth can't be proven by the scientific method. So look at this quote by Bertrand Russell, and the, the, the majority of people in our society believe this. And, and, and here's the deal. Whatever knowledge, listen, this, the, the, this is... Pretty crazy quote. Whatever knowledge is attainable must be attained by scientific methods. And what science cannot discover, mankind cannot know. What knowledge is attainable must be attained by scientific methods. I got news for you, Bertrand Russell. We can't verify this via the scientific method. Therefore, we're not going to believe it to be true. Right? You guys see how that just self-destructs? It is an assumption of science that the scientific method can come to truth because you can't verify that by the scientific method. There's certain things science can't say and that science has to philosophically assume 
in order to do proper science, just the fact that you can trust your brains to give you true and rational thought is a philosophical assumption of science. And to believe that you can trust your brain. And I had a quote by Charles Darwin. I wish I would have kept it up there because I'm, I'm not supposed to share this because it's out of my notes. But Charles Darwin had a quote and he said, the horrid doubt remains in me, whether if we came from lower animals, that, that our brain is at all trustworthy. There's Charles Darwin who said that. And what's so interesting now is that what, what, uh, what evolutionary theorists are saying is that, uh, well, evol- the reason we see this false uh, 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 religious belief across the globe is because of the process of natural selection, that this false idea of religious belief uh, uh, brought people together, that community, uh, that guilt and shame of religion kind of just helped us survive, you know, and so it programmed our brain with false beliefs. So what they're saying there, the beauty of this argument, is that natural selection has programmed you only for survival, not for what is true. What the evolutionary theorists are saying there is you can't trust your brain anymore to give you true and rational thoughts about, uh, about the external world because your brain is programmed only for survival. So what could have happened is your brain could be programmed with false beliefs that, that, that give you uh, uh, survival. Therefore, you can't trust your brain to give you any true belief or any true thoughts about any belief, including your belief about Darwinian evolution. So that's a tangent. Sorry, I shouldn't have done that. All right. So uh, science has limits. And so we're going to look at this last one here. Uh, number three is, has science uh, proven the theory of Darwinian evolution? Uh, and so I'm going to do a quick disclaimer here. I know this is audacious. And I know in some circles this is even laughable because a lot of people believe that this is a settled fact of science. If you want to be true to science, there are, there's no such thing as a settled fact of science. I'm really glad uh, Newton didn't think that. I'm really glad uh, Galileo didn't believe uh, certain things were settled facts of science. And by the way, those two guys love the Lord. And there's, uh, I got a long list of scientists who love Jesus, uh, who, current scientists. Um, and uh, anything, what I'm getting at is anything worth believing is worth investigating and not just accepting. And so um, we're just asking you, are you would you be willing, as we're going through this series, to, would you be willing to doubt your doubts? And maybe take a, a hard look as you take a hard look at other people's uh, worldviews and ask hard questions about their worldview. Would you turn that back on your own world, worldview and evaluate what you believe as well? Um, and so here's the deal. Has science proven the theory of Darwinian evolution? What is crucially important for us before we begin is we have to define, well, what do we mean by evolution? What do you mean by evolution? There's microevolution and there's macroevolution. Here's what microevolution is. Evolutionary change within a species or small group of organisms, especially over a short period. So let me give you some examples of microevolution, which, by the way, nobody, nobody doesn't believe in microevolution. It's, it's, it's verifiable. It's repeatable. It's observable. Like This is just common sense. Uh, some examples of microevolution are bacteria adjusting to antibiotics. Um, darker moths on trees, you guys have seen the pictures, uh, are surviving better than the lighter ones. Uh, and then uh, the classic one is the, the beak length of finches, right? So in, in 1977, it was observed that there was this period of, of heavy drought. And so the bird's beak length, or the average, changed dramatically, right? But I got news for you. Not a lot of people tell you this. In 1983, there was a period of heavy, heavy rain. All the changes that, that were brought about by that bird's beak went back to the average length. Then seven years, six years, returned back to normal. 
So all microevolution teaches us, all microevolution says, is that species adapt to their environment. And that adaptation can come in cycles within a couple years. This idea that, oh, a bird's beak length changed, so now it turns into a baboon or a bacteria adjusts to antibiotics or a, a finch can turn into a frog because we look at microevolution, that, that, is, that is not uh, logically consistent. And that is a leap of profound faith. The only thing microevolution teaches us is we adapt to our environment. And in no way has it been shown that uh, microevolution uh, causes us to jump in and out of our species. No. The only thing we observe through microevolution is a, mo- a moth remains a moth and is just a little bit darker. A bird remains a bird and its beak just might change its length. Right? It's the only thing microevolution says. And the reason I say that is the majority of times when you talk to someone and they're giving you proof after proof for evolution, it's microevolution. It's not, it doesn't say a word about macroevolution. I mean, macroevolution is this. The theory that non-living substance gave rise to the first living material, which subsequently reproduced and diversified to produce all extinct and extant organisms. The theory that non-living substance gave rise to the first living material which reproduced and diversified to produce all extinct and extant organisms. My friends, when we talk with people, we need to, we need to define terms. If you guys have taken the debate, you need to define terms before you begin your discussion. This is a key one to define. I even looked, uh, sorry, one second, my voice is a little dry. I even looked online and, and I looked at an article that said the eight proofs that, ev- that, ev- that evolution is true. And the majority of those were, were, were just evidence of microevolution. And like, we're still believing this. We're still believing this. So uh, we're going we're gonna to look at now. We're going to ask this question of has science proven the theory of Darwinian evolution? And I had a list of over 11 points. I narrowed it down to three that, um, so yeah, you can thank me again for that. Uh, unresolved problems with, with Darwinian evolution. Here are just three things to chew on, three things to think about to maybe just start, start this conversation. So number one is this, the origin of life. So, so here's the deal, my friends. Darwinian evolution only speaks of the survival of the fittest. It has nothing to say about the arrival of the fittest. You guys tracking with me? Darwinian evolution only kicks in when there's life. Darwinian, the science is, 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 is shockingly silent and across the board, even when they try to speak on this issue of, listen, of how non-life, how dead rocks, dead matter could produce all of life as we know it. And to believe, I would say, and I don't think this is being audacious, I think to say that non-life can create life is to truly believe in the miraculous. So next time we come at people of faith and say, oh, you know, science has proven, science hasn't proven a thing about the origin of life. Science hasn't proven a thing about how non-life can produce life. And if you don't believe me, here are some uh, smarter people than me talking about it. Leslie Orgel said this, and these, these, these guys aren't believers as far as I know. More than 30 years of experimentation on the origin of life in the fields of chemical and molecular evolution have led to a better perception of the immensity of the problem of the origin of life on earth rather than to its solution. At present, all discussions on principal theories and experiments in the field either end in stalemate or in a confession of ignorance. We say, oh, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. Science has no idea what it believes when it comes to the origin of life. Stuart Kaufman, 
Anyone who tells you that he or she knows how life started on the earth some 3.45 billion years ago is a fool or a knave. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So you think we, we, we are told to believe that Darwinian evolution is a settled fact of science. Well, well they're, no, they're not settled on the origin of life. Right? Next up, uh, how about the origin of the genetic code? Talked about this a little bit earlier, but DNA uh, is essentially the genetic blueprint for making all living things. So almost every cell in your body contains DNA and all the information needed to make you what you are, from the way you look to which hand you write with. And that genetic code is 7 billion bits of information contained in the nucleus of your cell. More information in that DNA than in the Britannica Encyclopedia collection. And there's 47.2 trillion uh, of that. Study DNA, my friends. Dig your teeth into that. It will blow your mind. It is a digital code. It is information. It is intelligence. And so the origin of that is this. Here's the deal. The question is, well, what came first? The blueprint or the house? DNA can only function properly inside a living cell. A living cell can only function properly when there's DNA programmed inside its nucleus. Which came first? The genetic code, the blueprint, or the house? Did the house just, whoa, 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 let's build ourselves. Okay, cool, now let's write this code so that we can build, we can just self-replicate and build other codes. You wouldn't believe that a house did that in a million years, that a house could just cause itself to come into existence. Why? Because a house is made of non-living material. But we believe the human cell, which is far more complex than a house, came into existence. Whoa, I'm here. Let's write this genetic code. Right? Sorry, and then maybe that's not a fair assessment of science. I don't want to, I don't want to, whatever. But, but that's what I'm saying. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? The blueprint or the house? The DNA or the cell? They're both dependent on each other. And when you get to the complexity of that, good night, it'll blow your mind. Absolutely blow your mind. You might be saying, oh, Nick, well, I'm really glad you mentioned DNA because science has proven that, you know, uh, uh, we share 98% of the DNA code with, uh, with monkeys. And so therefore, you know, evolution is true. But we also share 50% of our DNA with bananas. And, and, and this is what... Um, this is what uh, Steve Jones says. And by the way, this guy, if you research Steve Jones, he is, he is a, a materialist through and through. He is not a believer in God or intelligent design or a theist or whatever. This is what Steve Jones, geneticist, has to say about this. A chimp may share 98% of his DNA with ourselves, but it is not 98% human. It is not a human at all. It is a chimp. And does the fact that we have genes in common with a mouse or a banana say anything about human nature? Some claim that genes will tell us what we really are. Listen, the idea is absurd. The idea is absurd. And, and, and the argument uh, used that d- common DNA means common descent. The same argument could be used. Common DNA just proves a common designer, my friends. There's a flip side to that coin. And the last one I'm going to look at is the lack of transitional forms in the fossil record. Then we're going to conclude. Charles Darwin said this. The number of intermediate varieties which uh, have formerly existed on the earth should be truly enormous. Why then is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. And this perhaps is the most obvious 
and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. What Darwin is saying there is we should see a whole lot of weird-looking stuff in the fossil record. And we don't. And we don't. And, and Darwin was rolling the dice that we, just, we, haven't, we didn't dig enough yet. Right? He was banking on the fact that we would find that, that the fossil record would reveal that. I'm going to quote two paleontologists who are not believers for you and, 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 and listen to what they have to say. This is David Rupp of the Field Museum of Natural History, which houses one of the largest fossil collections in the world. We are about 120 years after Darwin, and the knowledge of the fossil record has been greatly expanded. We now have a quarter of a million fossil species, but the situation hasn't changed much. The record of evolution is still surprisingly jerky, and ironically, listen, we have even fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we had in Darwin's time. So Darwin, Darwin, remember 120 years ago, was like, we don't really see that much evidence in the fossil record. This guy is saying, we have less than we did at the time of Darwin. The fossil record is lacking these transitional forms. Niles Eldridge of the American Museum of Natural History said, we paleontologists have said that the history of life supports the story of gradual adaptive change. Listen, knowing all the while, it does not. It does not. So uh, going back to our original question, has science disproved God? I, I don't think it's, it's come close. I don't think there's a conflict between God and scientists, scientists or science. I think there's a conflict between uh, 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 people of faith and, and, and scientists with the, the presupposition of materialism and naturalism. And I don't think science uh, has, has proven Darwinian evolution as a settled fact of science, when in fact there is no such thing. Anything worth believing is worth questioning same with our beliefs and the truth of Darwinian evolution. Uh, so before uh, I wrap up, I just want to let you guys know that, you know, we're talking about a series dealing with doubt. And uh, the story of my life is, is, is this. Uh, if you're like me, you're, <laughs> I'm kind of like analytical. And so like I, I, I'm constantly questioning. I'm constantly a skeptic. And this kind of came to an apex uh, for me in my faith in college, which happens to a lot of people. Uh, I was a junior uh, I recently uh, turned 21, so I started drinking. Uh, me and my buddies would go to bars and, and everything that entailed and whatnot. Uh, but I was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ my whole life. I mean, God revealed his, his heart, his grace, his love for me at an early age. Walked with the Lord for a long time. Uh, but uh, I was faced with questions like we're talking about today from professors, from fellow students. I began wrestling with this stuff, uh, uh, like really, really serious, like seriously wrestling with these doubts. In addition to that, I mean... The bar life seemed a whole lot more fun than church life, right? And so I started wrestling with that because I knew that if God was true, then I couldn't just get to do whatever I wanted to do. And so there came a point uh, in my life uh, where all my roommates were uh, out of the house. No one was there. And I, I said this out loud to myself. That my doubts kind of came to a fruition. And I said, uh, I said out loud, I said, uh, I guess I was saying out loud to kind of like declare it, you know, like this is... This is true. And I speak to myself when I'm alone because I was homeschooled. But uh, anyways, uh, I, said, I said this. I said, I don't believe in this expletive anymore. I don't believe in this garbage anymore. God doesn't exist. This isn't true. This is a bunch of nonsense. God doesn't exist. And uh, 
said that out. No one was home. Didn't tell anyone. Uh, it was it was a, it was a it was a dark time for me because I knew immediately. I was like, I got a man. Like, what is my family gonna say about that? Good night. Like my my church. I mean, my whole life. Like, I have to re- reorient my whole life to adopt this new worldview. But I, but I was like, I'm gonna stick to my guns. Uh, you know, I, I this is what I believe. And uh, a couple hours later, life goes on, and I, I have to write a paper. Um, so I'm at my keyboard writing a paper, and uh, I get a phone call, which, by the way, I've never gotten a phone call like this leading up to that day, and ever since that day, I've never gotten a phone call since. I did the math. I've been on the earth over 11,000 days, and the one day I needed a phone call like this, I got it. I li- I, I, yeah, I don't like those odds if you think I had my chance. So here, here's, the, here's, the, here's what happened. Sitting there at my keyboard, and my friend, my really good friend, my youth pastor growing up, a uh, dear brother of mine, um, bless his heart, man, I love this guy. He, uh, he called me up, and he said, Nick, man, I was praying, and I just, ah, I just, I can't, I got to hold it together up here. Good night. Um, mm. Wow, I didn't expect that. Um, and he said, man, Nick, I can't shake this conviction. The Lord put on my heart to call you because you're going through something really difficult right now. What in the world is going on right now? How does that Oh, man. It's not how I practiced. Um, uh, man. And well, the funny part about that story is Chris felt that uh, unshakable feeling of the Spirit telling him he needed to call me and call me quickly because I was going through something really difficult. And he didn't want to call me because it was so awkward. So he talked to his wife and his wife, he's like, he was like arguing with his wife about this. And this is, I found this all out like way after the fact. And uh, his wife essentially said, Chris, man up and call the kid. <laughs> like man up and call him. So he called me and he was just super awkward. He said, Nick, like, this is awkward. Forgive me if this is not accurate at all. Like I've never had this before, but, but here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, I really felt God told me to call you because you're going through something really difficult in your life. Is that true? Is that true? And you better believe, man, I felt like a gut punch from the Holy Spirit. I almost dropped that phone, and I was like, you better believe that's true. And in that moment, I knew that the God I just cursed uh, was like, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what, what happens uh, 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 when you doubt me. I'm going to prove to you my existence. I'm going to prove to you how I can work. And uh, in that moment, I just, I mean, my faith was restored, but I still had a lot of questions. So I asked Chris immediately, like, hey, man, can we meet up? We need to, you know, can we meet up? And he was kind enough uh, to, to grab dinner with me. And I just kind of unleashed the fury of my doubts to him. I mean, bada bing, bada boom. And, and he was kind enough. I mean, he knew, I mean, he knew his stuff. And he gave me uh, solid answers. So there's some things he didn't give me solid answers on because he said, you know, there, there's some things that, you know, we might not know on this side of eternity. Uh, but the bottom line was this. He challenged me, and he said this. He said, Nick, you know, I've done ministry for a long time, and uh, I know that when people start to wrestle with doubts, and he's like, I know this isn't true all the time, but I know that sometimes when people really start to wrestle with doubts, it's because deep down they want to suppress the truth of God because they want to do what they know is not right. And he said, are you, are you currently doing that right now in your life? And I think, if I remember correctly, I think I lied to him. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Uh, <laughs> But, but here's the deal. The reason I share that, and I am concluding with this, is, uh, friends, you got to know this to be true. you got to know the heart of God. That even in the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your struggles, and even in the midst of your animosity towards him, he is, uh, he is, he is closer to you than you could ever dare to imagine. Acts 17, 
24 through 27. We looked at this in the beginning of our series. I'm going to read this, then we will conclude. Um, it says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, gives him, he, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and their boundaries of their lands. Listen to verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He's not far from any one of us. The beauty of this passage, the beauty of what scripture teaches us is, my friends, your life is not one giant exercise in futility. You are not here by accident. There is no, uh, 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 there is meaning to your existence. God does exist. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. And you were created to know him and everything that entails of experience his, his grace, his love, his guidance, the purpose, the new life that he brings you, the new and everlasting life, the promise of the gospel. And you were created like all of creation was created to you, was to, to sing and proclaim the excellencies of our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to uh, close in prayer and, and give you guys an opportunity to, to do that as we close with one final song. So let's pray. May Heavenly Father, we're blown away by your grace, Lord. We're so thankful uh, for the fact, Lord, that even in the midst of our doubts and our, and our sins and our struggles, Lord, that your scripture teaches us that you are not far from any single person in this room, Lord. So we praise you, Lord, that you are a God who first loved us, a Jesus. Uh, in the name of love, you went to the cross on our behalf, rose from the grave, uh, uh, from the dead, Lord. And now, uh, through our union with you, Lord, our lives are not meaningless, but we have hope. We have forgiveness. We have uh, a reconciliation between uh, us and God. And so we praise you. We make much of your name, Father. And Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, that you would comfort those who doubt. Lord, would you reveal yourself to them uh, this morning? that you do exist, and that you have loved them from eternity past, Father. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.